What book have we been in? Yes! First Timothy. First. There's two of you. Yeah, we've been in the first one. We've been in the first one. Let's let's review. No, there's not three. Okay. I'm positive. Let's review. Chapter one. Somebody tell me one word. What did we talk about? What's that? Stay on task. That's three words, but yes, yeah, stay on task. Stay on task with what? Yes, with Jesus, with the Bible. Just, okay, in case you've missed any of what we've been talking about, the book of 1 Timothy, Paul has left Timothy at the church at Ephesus, and he's the pastor there. And not long after he left him there, he wrote a letter to him. He actually wrote two letters to him. This is the first one that we've been going through. And in this first letter in chapter 1, one of the first things we talked about was that Paul charged Timothy to stay on task. What was going on is in this early church, there were some people coming in and they were teaching false doctrine. They were teaching things that weren't found in Scripture. So Paul was telling Timothy, you need to stay on task. You need to do what God has called you to do. And you need to make sure that the people know what sound, true doctrine is according to the Bible. That was the gist of chapter 1. What about chapter 2? What's that? Okay. That was chapter 3. You're right. Chapter 2, we looked at corporate worship. It talked about men leading in prayer, and it talked about the women's role and what the women's responsibility was in response to the authority in the church and the way that they acted and the way that they dressed and the way they carried themselves. And we looked at how that applies to us today and the way, as ladies, you would respond to the authority in the church. And last week, because that was the message for the guys, or for the girls, last week we had one for the guys. Drew, you are very anxious back there. Yes. What you have, Matthew? What's that? Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. The beginning of chapter 3, we looked at specifically what Scripture calls out, the qualifications for a pastor, the qualities that a pastor should have, his personal qualities, his family qualities, his professional qualities. But we didn't just limit that to pastors. We looked at that as it applies to men in general, as it applies to every guy in this room, every man in this church, that even though you may not be called to be a pastor of a church, you are still called to be the leader in your home. You are still called to be a leader in in the church, even if you're not the guy up on the pulpit every week. So every one of us has to look at those qualities and see how we can live those out and what God has called us to do as, as men and as leaders. And ladies, we talked about how if you're looking for a guy that you want to lead your family, lead you and your kids one day, that's the kind of guy you need to look for because that's the qualities that Scripture has set out as a standard. Now, we are skipping chapter 4. Not because it's a, a bad chapter, not because there's not good stuff in there, but because we're going to go to chapter 5, and I want you to read chapter 4 on your own. Same reason we're not going to do chapter 6. It's a good chapter. Read it on your own. Stay in it. Go ahead and finish out First Timothy. But I wanted to look at specifically tonight First Timothy chapter 5. Because you see here, and when you look at this chapter, it starts off, I don't know how it's labeled in your Bible, but my Bible actually labels this section, Instructions for the Church. That's the way it's been broken down. 
And as you start to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, you start to see Paul talking about how we relate to some of the different people groups in the church. And he kind of zeroes in on one specific people group. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the elderly. He's talking about how we relate to people that are older than us. I'm not going to give an age because I don't want to offend somebody that might be listening to this on iTunes later. But it's talking about the elderly. Whatever you consider elderly, that's what he's talking about here. Okay? What's that? It's just not, yes, it's not Miss Kathleen, Mr. Billy, or myself. We are not elderly, okay? Just so you, I do have gray hair, but that doesn't matter. It's okay. But that's what, that's what Paul's talking about. Let me ask you, how many of you guys have grandparents that you see on even a semi-regular basis? What's that? Your grandma took you here today, okay? So you've seen your grandma. Keep, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Okay. Tanner. The funny thing is, we're going to talk about that in verse 2 in just a minute, your comment there. Hold your hand up if you've got grandparents you should see on a somewhat regular basis. Okay? How many of you in the last five days have had any kind of interaction with somebody that is 30 years older than you? Okay? That ought to be just about everybody in this room. Even if you didn't sit down and have a conversation, maybe you, you passed them in the grocery store or at the gas station. Okay. So what you're telling me is just, is everybody in here at some point this week, you've encountered what you would consider an elderly person. You see, the reason Paul addresses what he does here in this chapter is because we are surrounded by people that are older than us. And sometimes we forget the way we're called to treat them. We forget what Scripture says about how we're supposed to interact with these people on a daily basis. In fact, I know that we forget sometimes because sometimes we get really good at making fun of older people. You know, I, I had this uncle, not even going to say his name, but this uncle for years, and I never understood it. He, he wasn't like a fat guy, but he had a little bit of a belly on him. And for whatever reason, he took his pants, and his pants literally were here, about halfway up his stomach, about four inches above his belly button. And I never understood that. And I just, I just, that swag, I just chalked it up to, okay, he's, he's kind of old. That's kind of weird. Or you know what? When you guys have dress-up weeks at school, you'll come to school on senior day, and you've got your canes, and you've got your walkers, or your gray hair, and your glasses, and you're hunched over. You see, we're, we're real good at making fun of elderly people. Or we talk about how slow they are, how frustrated we get when you get stuck behind an older person driving a land yacht in the middle of the road and you can't get around them every single day. You see? But you know what? When we look at Scripture, we may have fun with that, but when we look at Scripture, Paul reminds us in these verses tonight that there's still a certain way we're supposed to treat those people. Just the fact that they are older than us, that they have more life experience than us, earns them respect. Now, there are some people older than you that live more respectable lives than others, and maybe they merit more respect than some, and we should treat them with that. But the very fact that they are older than us means that they deserve our respect. And that's what Paul jumps into right here in verse 1. Let's just read it. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, 
in all purity. See, verse 2, we're going to get to that in a second. But right there he starts off, he says, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Now sometimes, like I said just a minute ago, we get frustrated with older people. There was, oh my goodness, we used to live in Sarasota. And when you live in a South Florida beach town, you will encounter something called snowbirds. How many of you know what snowbirds are? Okay. No, no, stop, stop. This is, I'm not talking about the camp we go to. That's Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. I'm not talking about the nice little white birds that fly around. Okay. I'm talking about snowbirds, the elderly people who live up north during the summer and have another house where they live in the beach towns during the winter. They're co- yes, there were British people too. They're called snowbirds. That's what they're called. And one of the things that we encountered with the snowbirds where we live is that many times they were pretty much annoyed if you had children in any 10-foot radius around them. In fact, Kathleen was at Sam's one day, and Jared was three, was he three at the time? Three years old. And you know how they give food away at Sam's sometimes, which is Awesome taste of the holidays. If you missed it, y'all missed out. It was great. But they give food away. So Jared is in line. Kathleen's holding him, and Jared's about to get some food. And as Jared is reaching for the food at the stand, a little old man steps in front of Jared, takes the food he was reaching for, and turns around and walks off. Never even bothered to think that there's a mom holding a three-year-old trying to get some food for her son. You'd snap his cane in a heartbeat. I don't know. He, he was pretty spry, wasn't he? He got out of there pretty quick. Yeah, see, he didn't even look. You see, things, things like that happen. Things like that happen. And I heard people, when we lived there, make comments about the snowbirds and how much they hated the snowbirds because they came down, they took over, they thought they ruled everything. You didn't belong there. But you see, what we have to remember is sometimes the individual actions of certain people shouldn't set the way we think about an entire group of people. Now, you can have one incident like that and think, you know what, I hate snowbirds. But the reality is, is we didn't hate all snowbirds. There were a lot of them in our church, and there were a lot of great, godly, wonderful people that lived that lifestyle. So we've got to be careful of of how we let those instances, those little frustrating experiences, color the way that we see an entire people group. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, okay, when you look at an older man, verse 1, encourage him. Do not rebuke him. Encourage him as a father. You see, this first part he's talking about, he's saying, okay, when you look at older men, you're not to rebuke them publicly. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? When we talked about the ladies and the way you respond to authority, that we had ladies in the church Priscilla and Aquila, who were at the church of Ephesus, and they called this guy out because he was preaching some of the wrong stuff, and they corrected him. I don't know if they rebuked him. We don't know. But it said they did it respectfully. They called him aside, and they corrected him that way. You see, when this scripture, when it talks about to not rebuke an older man but to encourage him as you would a father, that doesn't mean if somebody that's older than you makes a mistake, you're never allowed to say anything. It means you need to do it respectfully. It means you do what he talked about in these other verses about how you call them aside and you do it privately. You treat that older gentleman with respect, hopefully the same way you would treat your father. Whether you like your father or not, still your father still deserves honor and respect by the simple fact that they're your father. And that's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on and he says, younger men as brothers. 
Look around you. Really, guys, look around. Ladies, look around. Somewhere in this room, there's somebody probably younger than you. Ladies, there's probably a guy younger than you. Guys, there's another guy younger than you. I can promise you, in the nitro room, everybody's younger than you. Now, I have watched how some of you treat your younger brothers. I've seen it. Your younger brothers. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. But you know what? You know what? This, this, when it says treat younger men as brothers, this is not talking about the way you treat your little brother when you get angry and you chase him down the hall and you sit on him and you pound him because they did something to you. This is, this is saying, guys, they're your younger brothers in Christ. This is saying that we have a responsibility and we have a privilege to treat them respectfully. If you go back to the word that was originally used in this verse, I'm going to make sure I say it right, it's epiplesso. That's how that word's pronounced. This is the only place in the New Testament that that word was used. It's the only place. And basically what that means is that means to strike or to beat upon. So when it's saying don't rebuke the older men, Treat the younger men as brothers. It's saying don't treat them that way. Don't strike at them. Don't beat upon them. Don't make them feel stupid. Don't beat them down. Don't call them names. Don't make them feel disrespected because they deserve our respect. And it goes on in verse 2. It talks about the women as well. It says, uh, where does it say that? Let me read it. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Older women in your life, are to be treated as mothers. Now, I see you guys do some of this. I see the way you treat your moms. Jack, I've seen some of the other guys call your mom, mom. Yeah, exactly. But you know, oh, you're killing me, Clemens. But you know what? Drew, the way you treat Jack's mom and call her mom, that's what this is saying we should treat all elderly women like. We should show them the respect. Did you know that in this part of the world where this was written to Ephesus, to this day in this part of the world, the term mother is commonly used when a stranger is referring to an older woman. They call them mother because it is a sign of respect. That's why he says to treat them as mothers. I would hope and I would pray that you guys, if you don't protect anybody else in your family, you protect your mom. You look out for your mom. You don't let people talk about your mom. Guess what? Your job is to treat every other older woman in your life with that same respect as you would treat your mom. Ladies, ladies, that goes for you too. And I know sometimes there's more tension between a daughter and a mom than there is a son and a mom. But you're still supposed to treat your mother, with respect. And then it goes on. Then it goes on. It says in the end of that verse, younger women as sisters in all purity. I doubt you will ever find a girl that is the exact same age as you that was born the exact minute and second on the same day. So no, it doesn't. Guys, guys, 
treat younger women as sisters in all purity. I have two sons, and they have a little sister. And one of the things that we are grinding into our boys is that their job is to protect their sister, to look out for their sister, to keep her safe. This is telling us as guys, we have the responsibility to do that with any younger female in our life, to protect them like they are our sister. That's why it says in all purity, because sometimes the person they need protection from is us, ourselves. We've got to be aware of how we're treating ladies. Ladies, in regards to you where it says to treat the younger women as sisters, maybe you have younger sisters. I hope you treat them well. But you know what? Hey, in that nitro room over there, there's a room full of them. And they are your sisters in Christ. Basically what this breaks down to, guys, is there's nobody in this youth group There's nobody in the church that should feel disrespected, whether they're older than us, whether they're younger than us, because we get to set the example. Did you ever think about that? Yeah, you're a teenager, but this is calling you out right here to set the example of how we're supposed to treat other people. Timothy talk, or Paul talks about it in Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He's saying, you guys, Timothy, this young pastor, you as teenagers in high school, you have the opportunity to set the example for the entire church. For those older than you, for those younger than you. That's what you get to do. That's what he's calling us out to. Do me a favor. Put your phones away if you're not using it for your Bible. Okay? That's the example that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you get to be a part of this. Guys, that's a huge responsibility. Because people are watching you. Believe it or not, the younger kids, the middle schoolers, They are watching you. Do you know how excited they get on a Wednesday night when I tell them that we're all going to be together? Whether I'm speaking or Mr. Dean's speaking, it doesn't really matter to them. They're excited because they get to be around you. That's exciting for them. And you've got older people in the church watching you as well. Yeah, some of them are watching to see when you're going to mess up because you're teenagers and that's what they expect. You have the opportunity to show them that's not the truth about you, that that's not the truth about our group. Some of you guys did a great job. You went out Saturday and you showed respect by taking care of an older lady in our church and taking care of her home. Monday, you did the same thing. And we went went to a lady's house who is a very private woman. But you know what? You showed respect. You set the example of how you can and how you should act by the way you conducted yourselves. And I've already heard from other people what a good job you did by the fact that she's told someone else. That's what Timothy is being told here by Paul. That's what he's saying. You have the opportunity to set the example in the way that you treat other people, in the way that you treat the older people, in the way that you treat the younger people. Don't waste that opportunity. 
Don't waste that chance to show people who God is and what the love of Christ looks like. So let's keep going here. Timothy, or Paul jumps down next in verse 3. He's talked about the older people. He's talked about some of the younger people. Now he hones in specifically on one particular group. He's talking about widows. Look at what he says in verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now this, this kind of confused me when I first read this because it says in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. So okay, does that mean some lady's husband died and she's faking it? She's not a widow? What does that mean? So he goes on to explain it. He, he says it right there in verse 4. He says if they have children or grandchildren, let them learn first to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing to the Lord. Basically what verse 4 is telling us, that a true widow is a widow that doesn't really have family to take care of her. That's what it's talking about. You see, because most churches during that time, they kept a list. They kept a list of, of the widows that were in their church, the people that needed help. And all the time, a lot of times when people would, you know, they would become widows. I'm getting tangled up in my words here. When you would have widows and you would have that list, you'd have two different groups. You'd have the people who truly needed help, and then you'd have the people who had a lot of family, but their family really wasn't stepping up and doing their job and taking care of them. So the church had to take that responsibility. You see, what Paul is talking about here is he's saying that, that you know, so many times people just assume that, okay, if there's a widow, it's the church's responsibility to take care of them. And you know what? Based on some scriptural passages, that's true. And that's correct. But too many times there are families who step away from their responsibilities and don't take care of the widows in their own family. And he talks about right there, he's saying that let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return. That showing godliness, that making a return, that means that you are loving and supporting the widows in your own family, whether it be financially, whether it be physically, or whether it be spiritually or emotionally, that as a family, if I have a widow in my blood relation family, it is my job first before the church ever gets involved. That's why he makes that distinction and he says, true widows right there. Because when this was written, women weren't able to go out and get jobs like they can today. They just, they, they really weren't. There were some opportunities, but not like there are now. So if their husband died, they needed somebody to take care of them. And as we go along here, we're going to see he actually breaks this down a little bit farther. But you see, as a church, when it is our responsibility, that's why we do things like summer serves where we go to a widow's house and we do yard work. Or like we did last Saturday when some of you all went out there and pressure washed the house and just visited for an hour or so with a widow or Monday when we took 13 of us and it only took us 30 minutes to rake and, and use the blower to, to pick up leaves in a yard. But you know what? That's, that's what we're called to do. But it's the family first that is supposed to do that. And when the family is not around, then it's the church's fam, church family's responsibility to step in and take care of those widows. It's very important to make that distinction, and we're going to find out why as we keep going. In verse 5, here's what he says. 
She who is truly a widow, he's going to give us a little more explanation here of what a true widow looks like. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So basically what Paul is saying here is that the true widow, her trust is in God. She rests in God alone and her life reflects that trust. It says that she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And then it's going to go on in verse... uh, Well, we won't get there. We'll come back to that. It's saying that her hope rests in God, unlike the self-indulgent widow whose hope and comfort comes from a selfish lifestyle. You've got some ladies who are widows who are living for themselves and only themselves. But you've got other ladies who are widows who are living for other people and living for God. Paul is making this distinction because he's trying to help us understand as a church, as a family of believers, we have only certain limited resources. And it's not that we want to leave anybody out, but it's that if we're going to be faithful with what God has given us, we've got to make sure we are truly helping the ones who really need the help of the church. That's why he's making this distinction here in the way that we're supposed to Treat the widows. And then he goes on in verse 7 and says, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Basically what Paul is saying is, I've told you what a true widow is. Timothy, tell the rest of the church. Because once we know what Scripture says about a subject, once we know what it says about how we're supposed to treat the widows, now we're responsible for it. If we know what Scripture says, we have a responsibility to act on it. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Tell the church what Scripture says. Tell them their responsibility so that they can do something about it. So that they can do something about the widows. If you and I have a relationship with Christ, then we are called to love God and love others. We are called to put that faith and that love that we say we have into action on a daily basis. And Paul is telling us that one of those places we need to put that into action is taking care of those ladies in our church that can't take care of themselves or don't have somebody else to do it for them. That's why Paul says in Romans 12:10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You and I are called to show love and respect to everybody, specifically here to older people and to widows, but we are called to show love and respect to every single person we encounter every day. If we have experienced the love and compassion of Jesus Christ, we know what we have. And if we know what we have, we have a responsibility to act on what we have. So we're responsible. He keeps going in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. He's getting even more specific about your true widows. Now he's set an age limit. He's saying, okay, if they're under 60, they don't make the list. That list that I talk about churches had back then, we have one at North Florida Baptist Church. There is a list of all the widows that are members of our church, the ones that need help, the ones that don't need as much help, That's how they have a widow's dinner every year that the deacons come and serve at and some of the church staff come and serve at. They actually keep that list. And Paul is saying, okay, when you look at that list, 
there's even, there's even more specific requirements you need to make. For instance, don't let them on that list if they're under 60. Now, we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit later when we get to verse 11. So let's go to the second part of that verse right now. It says, having been the wife of one husband. The wife of one husband. This is very similar to what we talked about last week when we looked at the qualifications for a pastor or the qualifications for men about how he was supposed to be the husband of one wife. And we looked at all those different explanations. Now, this does not mean that a widow cannot remarry. In fact, if you keep reading, which we're going to in verse 14, there are certain instances where Paul encourages Timothy to tell widows, yes, get remarried. See, what it's talking about here is the same thing we talked about last week. It's faithfulness to that husband, to that person in that marriage relationship. That she is married to one man. That's what Scripture is talking about. It speaks back to her character. It speaks back to her relationship with God and her attitude to her family relationships as well. That's why that's important there. Because if you've got a lady, like it's going to go on and say here, let's, let's just go on to the next verse. It says in verse 10, And having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, if a widow is to be supported by the church, she has to be at least 60 years old, and she's got to have a godly lifestyle says that she's brought up her children. She has raised her children to be God-fearing children and taught them what Scripture says. Now see, this probably makes sense to Timothy because we see or saw earlier that Paul referenced where Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him about Christ and taught him about Scripture and who God was. That's why that's important. Has shown hospitalities, washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, her reputation precedes her and influences the way people treat her. Ladies, that doesn't start when you're 60 years old and a widow. That starts now. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The way that you interact with people, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you talk, you think, you dress, all of those things affect your reputation, and that starts now. You don't get a good reputation or a bad reputation when you're 60 years old. You start building it now. And as people learn who you are, as they interact with you, you start to have a picture of yourself form in their eyes. And that's your reputation. And what Paul is saying here is that that reputation needs to be one that reflects godly character. It needs to be one that reflects the idea that you say you have a relationship with Christ, but you also live it out. That's what he's talking about. Your reputation will precede you in many places. They will. And it will determine how people treat you. Guys, this goes for you too. We talked about that last week. It's unbelievably important. And that's why he's saying this here, is that their reputation, this affects the way the church is going to help them. This affects the way the church is going to treat them. Does that mean we shouldn't treat certain people with respect because they don't have a good reputation? No, it doesn't mean that. But it might influence the way we do treat them in some respects. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be careful of that. Now, verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, 
they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Put it simply, younger women are inclined to get married. There's nothing wrong with that. Even as a widow, it's the way God wired us. He wired us to want to be in relationship, to want to have partnership and love with somebody else. So there's nothing wrong there. But what he's talking about is during this time, and even now, there would be some widows who would do one of a couple things. They would either marry someone who was of a different religion and a different faith, And the fear was that if they marry that gentleman, that they're going to step away from the faith and the God that they know and follow whatever he's doing. Or the idea that they're going to marry somebody that doesn't have a faith at all. Now, you'll see that even today. You'll see some women who will get remarried and they will stay strong in what they believe about God. And they will come to church and they will bring their kids to church and they will raise their children in the church and they will do everything they can to stick to what they know to be true, even if the husband never comes. But most times, well, I won't say most times, more than likely, when the husband's not leading in the right direction, the family's going to follow. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says that they uh, incur condemnation having abandoned their former faith. He's saying, help them, help them be careful. Watch out for these younger ladies. Don't let them stray away from what they know to be true. He does talk about them getting married. He says in verse 13, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed from Satan. He's saying, okay, younger ladies, you become a widow, you're probably going to have a little more free time. And one of the concerns was the ladies that were younger, that were widowed, that had free time, started to fill up that time with gossip and with causing problems and with getting involved in other people's lives where they didn't necessarily belong. So he's saying, you know what, let those ladies who are younger, let them get remarried. Because if they're remarried, they're going to be focused on their husband and they're going to be focused on their kids and managing their household and they're not going to have time to get into all that stuff that causes problems for them and for everybody else. But see, that's what I said before when Paul says there are some instances where it's okay to get remarried. He encourages it because getting remarried can sometimes help you stay stronger in your faith because it keeps you out of all that other stuff. And then he rounds it out here with verse 16. He says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Paul comes back to emphasize the role of the family in taking care of widows. It is the family first and then the church. What does that matter for us? What does that matter for you as a teenager who's not engaged, much less married or even widowed at this point? We have a responsibility to set the example for the believers in the way that we speak and the way that we act and the way that we relate to older people and the way that we treat the widows in our church. We have a responsibility to step up and take care of those people 
when they don't have anybody else to take care of themselves. That's why we have groups that go out and pressure wash houses and rake yards. But you know what? It's not always about the group activity that we have planned. You have the opportunity as individuals to show the love of Christ in the way that you treat these people, especially in the church, because you will encounter them every day. It's my encouragement, my prayer for you tonight is when that little old person starts to annoy you, starts to frustrate you because their pace of life doesn't move at the same speed yours does, stop for a second and ask yourself, am I treating them with respect? Am I doing what Paul told Timothy we're supposed to do? Am I showing the love of Christ and am I setting the example? My prayer is that we are. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for tonight. God, um, God, I pray for the opportunity this week. I pray for the opportunity for every single person in this room to set the example of love and caring and compassion through our interaction with those who may be older than us. God, we do pray for all the widows that are in, in our church, that are in this city, God, the ones we don't even know about. God, I pray for those that have families, Lord, you will, you will burden the hearts of those family members to step up and to take care of those who need taken care of. God, I pray as a church that we will continue to step up and do what you have called us to do in those instances when the family can't or won't. Lord, help us to set the example. Help us to show your love in the way that we treat others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.